Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, March 8th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, we we have uh, not many topics to talk about today. The, the main topic is going to be this new Space Jam movie, the Space Jam sequel of sorts space jam a new legacy but before we get to that let's talk about the the smaller topics we 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 have to discuss today and that starts with a stephen king slash steven spielberg slash duffer brothers related tv series project chris tell us about it uh yeah the project is the talisman which is based on a book that stephen king wrote with peter straub back in the 80s and steven spielberg has had the rights to this book before it was even published, he he had he bought the rights in 1982, and the book didn't come out till 1984. So he's had it uh, before it even existed, really. And he's spent the last several years trying to turn it into something. You know, for at first he wanted to make it a movie. Then at one point they were considering uh, a TNT miniseries with um, uh, Frank Marshall. Um, then various different movie versions kept getting announced. There was one with, with, uh, Josh Boone was going to direct it. Um, uh, and there was another one where Mike Barker, who is a director of, uh, the Handmaid's Tale series was going to direct it too. And now none of those versions are happening. Instead, a TV series, uh, version is coming to Netflix. Um, Amblin is still involved because... Again, wait, wait, wait. Do, do, does Netflix know anybody that can that can kind of uh, imitate Stephen King they in, sh- in a good way? They sure do. Uh, the Duffer Brothers, who, of course, created Stranger Things, are serving as executive producers on this show. And Curtis Gwynn, who is a writer on Stranger Things, is going to write and be the showrunner of this series. Um and of course, Spielberg is still involved because, like I said, he's he's had the rights all these years. He owns he actually owns them outright. Like he just bought the right. It's not like he optioned them and he has to worry about them ever lapsing. He's just he's the guy who owns the rights to this. And he, so <laughs> uh, I don't know how hands on he's going to be with this Netflix series. And there's like a part of me where it's like, 
Ugh, Steven Spielberg has to work with like you know the Duffer Brothers, and like no, nothing against the Duffer Brothers. I like Stranger Things, but the idea that Stranger Things is so popular for essentially just ripping off Steven Spielberg and Stephen King, and now they're getting to do this. It's kind of like everyone has to stoop down a little bit to get on their level to make this happen. But uh, yeah, it's finally happening. So there you have it. I know you're a huge Steven Spielberg fan, like. The impression I've always got with like this TV stuff that Spielberg produces is that he's not heavily involved. Is is, is that the impression you get? Yeah, I I I mean, I do think there was a long period where they were just like slapping his name on things like Tiny Toon Adventures. Like I don't think Steven Spielberg was like <laughs> I I gotta go and see what's going on in the writers' room for Tiny Toon Adventures. So I really don't imagine he's gonna be like on the set of this, but who knows? He might be. I mean. It ha- it is sort of like a passion project for him since he's been trying to make it for so long. So maybe this will be one of those those TV projects where he he really does want to be sort of involved beyond just putting his name on it, just because he's he's been spending such a long time trying to make it happen. I I want the extensive bio on Steven Spielberg where we actually find out like he was the guy that pitched like Pinky in the Brain or or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're you're also a big fan of Stephen King. I I've never read The Talisman. What what is it about? Uh, the Talisman is about this kid named Jack Sawyer, and his mother is dying, and uh, he enters into this sort of alternate universe, which is sort of like our world, but you know, weirder, and there are supernatural things, and uh, it's sort of tied into the Dark Tower series because everything Stephen King writes is sort of tied into that. It's not my favorite of Stephen King's things. It's a little more fantasy oriented than horror and i you know i'm i'm more of a horror guy than a fantasy guy so i didn't uh i didn't exactly love the talisman but it's pretty good uh there was also a sequel called black house which is just awful (laughs) no no one should bother reading it um i would say the talisman definitely worth reading black house not worth reading so there you have it hmm i mean your description of it basically just made it sound like dark tower (laughs) It's very dark tower e, but not it's not, it's not uh, as Stephen King continued to write and continued to flesh out his dark tower stuff. A lot of his books got a lot more dark tower ish. Like Black House, for example, is very dark towery, and that's kind of the reason why I don't like it. Like it reads basically like another dark tower novel, and that's not really what I was in the mood for. This at least can sort of stand on its own. Although I do wonder how I I, I kind of wonder if the series, you know, because it's being made now after everyone, you know, Stephen King is a household name and people know what the Dark Tower is. I wonder if the show is going to try and weave some Dark Tower mythology into this or not. I, I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, one of the big mini series of this past year. One of the big sensations was this coming-of-age period drama miniseries based on a book. It was called The Queen's Gambit. And, uh, Brad, I think you're the only one here who has seen this this show. Yeah, somehow I was the only one who picked up on the hype and uh, watched it last year. And uh, it's very good. Anya Taylor-Joy stars in it. Uh, this miniseries is fresh off winning uh, the Golden Globe for Best Television Limited Series, Anthology Series, or Motion Picture Made for TV. Anya Taylor-Joy also won an acting award for it. Uh, also just won uh, Critics' Choice Awards, too. And so it was uh, a huge hit for Netflix. Apparently, it was uh, enough to become 
its uh, most streamed uh, original miniseries as well. And now, uh, because it's so popular and such a hit, apparently it's time to turn it into a stage musical. Uh, a production company called Level Forward uh, landed the theatrical stage rights to uh, the novel by Walter Tevis, um, which the, the series miniseries was also based on. Uh, and he's a writer who uh, wrote the books that inspired The Hustler and The Man Who Fell to Earth. So, yeah, we're going to get this, um, you know, dark coming-of-age character drama about a young orphan chess prodigy uh, who becomes addicted to tranquilizers and su- deals with uh, substance abuse issues and struggles with their identity in the form of a stage musical. So that sounds <laughs> very fun. <laughs> Well, yeah, all of that sounds very weird, but like, how do you, how do you even, it, it, it's hard enough to turn like a chess scene into like a cinematic sequence for a movie or TV. How do you do that on the stage with music? Uh, gosh, how, how if I know, you know, I mean, um, you know, it, it's, it's not to say that there aren't powerful, you know, amazing dramatic musicals out there, but I have a hard time seeing how this material translates to a stage musical easily and like honestly my, my worst nightmare I, i'm picturing people in giant chess piece costumes you know <laughs> shifting around in a very ominous fashion you know yeah. to, to these very sad songs maybe because i feel like you can't make a, a a jaunty musical out of this like there's there's upbeat parts of this series for sure yes you know especially as she you know wins chess tournaments and there's you know, a lot of style since it's set in the 1950s and 60s and, you know, it goes across the, the Midwest and Paris and Moscow. So there's there's the potential for interesting style choices here. But again, I just I have a hard time seeing the story translating into a musical. Well, but that's probably why I don't make musicals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about another mini series. You know, uh, Ryan Murphy has been doing these American crime story uh, seasons based on. You know, the first one was based on the O.J. Simpson trial. The second one was based on, what was it? Uh, the murder of Gianni Versace. Yeah, and the, the next one is going to be based on the the whole impeachment of, uh, or the, the impeachment trial of uh, Bill Clinton. So uh, we got some interesting casting news this week about that. Chris, tell us about it. Yes, uh, Edie Falco, who of course is probably most famous from The Sopranos, but she's done all sorts of things is set to play Hillary Clinton in the FX series Impeachment American Crime Story. And she joins a cast that includes Clive Owen is playing Bill Clinton and Beanie Feldstein is playing Monica Lewinsky. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's perfect casting for that. Yeah, this I'm is not- very good casting. And uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm, <sighs> I am cautiously optimistic about this because I don't, I don't love Ryan Murphy on his own, but I have found the American crime story shows to be pretty damn good. I thought the first season, the the OJ season was great. And uh, from what I've read, that was one of the seasons he was like, not very hands on with, like he doesn't, wasn't <laughs> writing every episode and all that stuff. And maybe that's why I liked it more than anything else he's done. Like, I don't really like American horror story, even though that show has lasted very long and people, obviously love it. It's just not for me. And, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about how, how this all plays out, uh, uh, in the end. And I don't know if it'll be, uh, it's bound to be, I guess, sensationalized, I guess, just because of the nature of the story and the nature of Ryan Murphy's shows. But I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this all plays out. Yeah. I feel like for, 
for me, his stuff is very style over substance, usually. Or I don't know, probably say it style over substance is a bad, but it's just very style heavy. Yes. Like it's, it, it's very big. It's not it's not subtle, I guess is, is a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, the one thing he usually does get right, though, is he always has like a knack of like great casting. Right. Uh, for the projects that he even, you know, directs and the, the the series that he just produces as well. And this uh, the series looks like it's uh, shaping up to be a good one. Although Clive Owen as Bill Clinton, like, what do you think of that? I think he can do it. I, I can definitely see. I mean, it's not like an obvious choice, but I do think he's going to really do a good job with everyone. I, I can just see him doing a great job with it. And I'm sure they're going to put like, you know, a wig on him. Or but um, I'm sure he will look the part when we see it. But I, I do think he's going th- to. I think he'll do a good job with that role. Um, I'll I'll watch this one for sure. I'll give it a chance. We'll see. But I, th- that last one was like, I think I watched two episodes and I gave up because I had like this whole like it was flip flopping through time and it was yeah the whole for some reason they, they took like a memento approach where the whole series the whole season is running backwards and I found that even though I liked the season I found that to be kind of distracting and they they probably could have just had a, a more linear narrative and done just as well if not better yeah okay let's move on to the big topic of today's episode and that is space jam a new legacy they've kind of done a first look and given us like details about what this sequel is actually going to be but before we get to that i wanted to to ask you guys what what is your do you have any personal connection with space jam let's start with chris do you have any um i don't know but i i saw it when it came out i thought it was fine as a kid uh in the year since i've realized that it's it's really not that good of a movie i i think the i don't know if it's a you want to call it a sequel or not but the, the follow-up looney tunes back in action is a much better movie and i wish that had the nostalgia built around it that space jam seems to have because that movie did not do well and no one ever talks about it but everyone talks about space jam which is the worst <laughs> movie but that's how it goes i guess brad what about you yeah, I grew up watching Space Jam for sure. Uh, it was something that I was into simply because I grew up watching classic Looney Tunes. I grew up, uh, you know, just outside of Chicago here in Northwest Indiana. So I was a huge Chicago Bulls fan and obviously a big Michael Jordan fan. And so it was just, you know, something cool to to see as as a kid. You know, these two things that I love combining as as an adult, you know. Um, I don't, I have nostalgia for the movie. I, I don't think it's very good. I think it has, you know, amusing parts in it and uh, the cameos are fantastic, but it's, it's not really uh, a very good cohesive movie. And it, it definitely, even though it, you know, tries to do the same thing, you know, that Who Friend Roger Rabbit does, it doesn't quite accomplish it in as much of an interesting way that takes full advantage of the, the characters at its disposal. So yeah, a little bit of nostalgia for it, but uh, definitely recognize that it's it's not that great. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you would have more of a nostalgia for it. I'm kind of surprised. I when when I was a kid, I think I s- saw this movie once or twice, but I was much more of like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit kid, and it, this always felt like it was the poor copy. Like you know, it felt like it, it came afterwards, right? It came a. Uh, how many years after Roger Rabbit did this come out? Like seven years, I think, because Who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is 88, and I think Space Jam is 95, 96, maybe. Yeah, so it always felt like it was like Warner Brothers trying to copy what they did with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, what uh, Disney did. Um, 
So I never had like this huge attachment to it. I know there's so many people that have like such a huge nostalgia for this movie. And um, maybe it's like a nostalgia for Michael Jordan in the 90s. And maybe it's even like a nostalgia for what they think they remember the movie being and not actually the movie. I, I I feel like that's true for a lot of things. Like yeah. things you see as a kid, because you know, let's be real, kids are stupid. So <laughs> when you're a kid and you watch something, you're not like you know critically tearing it apart. You're just like, yeah, I'm entertained. And then years later, you go back and you revisit, and you're like, oh wow, this is terrible, but I liked it as a kid. And I, I feel like Space Jam is like the prime example of that. Where if you grew up watching it, you you probably do have that like. That was fun, but if you were to watch it now, you'd be like, hmm, I don't know about this. But I feel like there are stuff like that, Chris, that... That does hold up? When I saw as a kid, it connected with me in a major way, and when I watch it now, I still connect with it, even though I know it has its flaws. Like, Goonies, I think, is, like, the number one thing that a lot of people bring up of that those nostalgia movies of, like, people saying it's a bad movie. But I, I still enjoy it today. I, I do feel like most people, if they saw Space Jam today, that think they loved it, probably would, as an adult, realize it's not as good as they remember it being. I think so, but who knows? Who <laughs> knows? Know. Uh, well, anyways, the interesting thing here is they revealed some stills from the new movie, and they also, for the first time, revealed what the plot is of this thing. So, Brad, what what is the plot of the Space Jam follow-up? So LeBron James takes the, you know, the, the part that Michael Jordan had in the original Space Jam as, you know, the, the big professional basketball player who's basically playing a, a fictionalized version of, of himself. He's still big basketball star LeBron James, um, but, you know, it's just a little bit exaggerated. And so uh, he, he has three kids and a wife, just like the real LeBron James. But one of his kids, uh, a, a teenage kid named Dom, apparently is uh, interested in creating video games. And it kind of creates this disconnect between him and LeBron. And I guess Dom is good enough at, like, with his computer skills that he draws the attention of a CGI humanoid named Al G. Rhythm, played by Don Cheadle. Uh, at least I think it's Al. I, I don't think it's AI, but I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's Al G. Rhythm. And so somehow uh, LeBron and Dom both get sucked into the Warner 3000 Entertainment server verse. And. Uh, Algae Rhythm keeps uh, Dom as his prisoner, his hostage, in order to steal some of LeBron's followers on social media. And apparently the only way to get Dom back and to escape the serververse is uh, a game of basketball for which LeBron James needs to round up the Looney Tunes who are apparently scattered across the serververse. (laughs) Almost every single bit of this sounds like a Mad Lib, like of like things that were just mashed together that don't even make any sense and it doesn't sound good. Yeah. It has a very ready player one vibe to it. And they just decided, well, let's just mash that up with space jam. And now we have a movie. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? The plot of this film? Uh, this sounds awful. This sounds like a, <laughs> just a, a terrible movie. And uh... Wh- which part? <laughs> I don't you know hmm, it's just, it's hard it's it's hard to pin put pin down one one thing I dislike about this it's like a, it's a package deal there's nothing uh, here that sounds good to me honestly yeah I don't know like he's trying to steal his social media followers and I don't you know we should talk uh about this server verse you know 
people thought they were getting tired of all these companies trying to create these cinematic universes. Well, now Warner Brothers is creating the serververse. What is the serververse, Brad? So it's basically the excuse that Warner Brothers has to bring all of their various intellectual characters and property from movies and TV together uh, into this movie. And so uh, this will be unfolding in this serververse so that we can see the likes of Batman and King Kong and uh, environments and references to movies like The Matrix and Wonder Woman, Mad Black, Mad Max, and apparently even Casablanca uh will be featured in this movie somehow so you kind of get an idea of what this might look like in the the first look photos and there was also a very brief snippet like of, of footage from the movie that was released in hbo max's sizzle reel earlier this year and uh like i said you know it, it feels like a very ready player one kind of vibe it's it's not clear if like any of the actors who play these characters will be featured i feel like we would have heard about it if they were so i wouldn't be surprised if they are mostly these maybe video game-esque recreations of a lot of characters um but like in in one shot of bugs bunny you can see the classic uh penguin from the 1966 batman series you can see uh space ghost you can see the flintstones car and so basically you know all these different characters will be either appearing in the background of the actual basketball game or encountered somewhere in the movie because for example when lebron and bugs go to track down lola bunny apparently they're going to find her living in the amazons with the women of themiscura from wonder woman okay i mean <laughs> i'm gonna play devil's advocate here and i think there is something fun that could be done with having all these characters living in this, you know, this server verse and having interactions and going through these different worlds. It's what I found promising about ready player one. It's what I, what brought me to that. Um, You know, it didn't really work for me in that movie. It doesn't sound like it's going to work for me here. Like, I don't know. I know you're saying it's probably going to be more than this, but seeing these first look photos, it just looks like they just turned these characters into NPC characters that are, you know, in the crowd cheering on the team during the basketball game. I think a lot of them probably will be um, like that, but I think that they'll probably be also be maybe some that appear because I imagine that what, when LeBron and, and Bugs are going through the serververse and trying to find the other Looney Tunes, that they'll be going into different movie and tv animated environments where these, some of these characters are so do you think we're actually gonna get sucked into the matrix and they could have actually filmed something with keanu reprising his role uh i mean i, I wouldn't you know count it out you know anything is possible with with something like this um i just yeah i don't i don't know it's it just seems so <laughs> weird to me and i like uh, like you said, there's something conceptually that seems like it could be fun, you know, like a, a Ralph breaks the internet kind of thing um, as well. But it's just the fact that it's all based around like the Space Jam conceit, I think, is kind of what sullies it a little bit. It feels like they're really shoehorning in the idea of this basketball game into the story. So <laughs> I don't think there's any way to get to this basketball game without shoehorning it in because there's no way to give an, a basketball game with animated characters stakes in any real way chris um i'm assuming you hate everything about this about the the characters and the, the <laughs> I, years. I mean 
<laughs> I just, I feel like we're straying from the core concepts of the original Space Jam here when there were aliens and monsters. Uh, what is this talk of server versus? I don't, I don't approve of any of this. You're, you're sullying the good name of Space Jam. No, I don't care about any of this. All of this sucks. okay let's talk quickly about the the look of these characters because they've re re kind of conceptualized these looney tune characters in a 3d computer animated look and i think i'm probably the only person here that doesn't hate it i here's the thing i don't hate it necessarily because it they they have done a good job of translating the character designs into the 3d world by giving them texture you know like we the one we see best is bugs bunny and he's actually furry um but they haven't lost any of his the touchstones of his character design whatsoever so i i don't hate it but for me it's just like if you're gonna do space jam then just use the 2d versions of the characters as you know it was in the original and i'm sure it's a big part of updating it and bringing it to, the, to you know contemporary audiences but i also think that maybe it'll it'll become a source of both uh, comedy and maybe part of the plot because the the, the cover story that Entertainment Weekly did that revealed these photos showed the regular 2D versions of the Looney Tunes and so part of me thinks that we will probably initially see them in that ver- in that form but then when they come into the server verse then they'll have a 3D form and I'm sure they'll probably make some jokes about it. Okay, you know I I know we're all being super negative about this, but. You know, one of the producers of this movie is Ryan Coogler, you know, the guy responsible for uh, Fruitville Station, uh, Black Panther, Creed, uh, Creed. And uh, there's this quote in here that kind of gets to the emotional core of this movie. Do you want to read this quote, Brad? Yeah, sure. Um, so Coogler's a producer on the movie. Um, it's directed by Malcolm D. Lee. And, and what Coogler said about the, the story is that, quote, the general idea was the examination of black fatherhood and how fatherhood could be unique to LeBron James specifically. There are parents who want to push their kids to do certain things because this is what they do. But sometimes you have to look into a kid and be able to have an open mind and ear to help them become the thing they've dreamed of. And so we, I talked a little bit earlier about how there's this a bit of a, um, a disconnect between LeBron James and his son, Don, because he's more interested in creating video games than maybe playing basketball or doing something else that LeBron thinks he should be doing instead. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's a nice touchstone to have an, an emotional core to, to give this movie. And, you know, it, the original Space Jam did try to have that with Michael Jordan as well, because he was kind of struggling in his with his place uh he has was retired he was playing uh from basketball he was playing baseball um and it was kind of like getting him back back into it and you know this whole thing of him kind of being also being disconnected from his his family uh in a way and so it's it's one thing to like know that from a filmmaker's perspective and see that in the movie but whether or not it actually connects or is has as significant of a role in the final you know cut remains to be seen yeah, uh, I'm guessing it probably won't have a huge role in the final movie. That has to do with animated characters playing against LeBron in in a game of basketball. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, there was also another bit of news that hit about this movie, and that was that they did cut uh, Pepe Le Pew from the movie. He was like the skunk character who uh, very kind of rapey. Yes, I guess the word. Yes, uh, yeah. Pepe Le Pew is notoriously uh, aggressive when it comes to 
pursuing a, a cat named Penelope Pussycat who consistently, always accidentally ends up looking like a female skunk um, and catches the eyes of super horny Pepe Le Pew. And uh, apparently he was slated to be part of Space Jam, A New Legacy, but his scene in question was cut, but not recently. Some people have thought that this was a recent development that came out of, um, there was this opinions piece that ran in the New York Times uh, addressing the Dr. Seuss controversy that everyone's been talking about, where other problematic cartoon characters have been mentioned. And Pepe Le Pew was mentioned as an aside, as a character that has that normalized rape culture. Uh, and so some people thought that this was a reaction to that of, you know, Warner Brothers being like, we're taking Pepe Le Pew out of the movie because of this. But this was actually decided a year ago. Uh, and the scene in question was a- was actually uh, cut entirely um, without any controversy necessarily stirring around it. And we actually found out what the scene uh, was supposed to um, have entailed. And in a way, it's kind of disappointing that they're not able to include this because of what the intention is. Um, so the scene actually uh, would have had Pepe Le Pew appearing alongside Jane the Virgin act- actress um, uh, Grace Santo. And the scene would have had Pepe Le Pew as a bartender in Rick's Cafe in Casablanca. And he uh, would have started making advances on Santo by kissing her arm. But then she was going to throw him into uh, a chair, dump her drink on him, slap him across the face, and like spin him into a whirlwind on a stool like in a very cartoony fashion. <laughs> And so then LeBron uh, James and Bugs Bunny come in because they're looking, um, trying to find Lola Bunny. And apparently Pepe knows where she is because of course he does. Um, And then during this exchange, it's revealed that uh, Penelope Pussycat filed a restraining order against Pepe Le Pew. And then LeBron James makes a joke about uh, Pepe not being able to touch any other Looney Tunes without their consent. So it would have been uh, essentially a lesson and a comeuppance for Pepe Le Pew for being such a creep all these years. Um, but it but it was cut, and there was no reason given for why it was cut. I'm not sure if like Warner Brothers thought that there would be backlash from merely having the character in the movie, or maybe if this comedic approach to something that is you know a relatively serious topic at the core. You know, obviously we're talking about a cartoon skunk, but it's it's something that addresses this idea of rape culture, and maybe they just felt it was making light of the situation too much, but. Uh, for her part, Santo and uh, a spokesperson for her said that they were kind of, you know, disappointed and upset that this got cut because apparently she herself was a victim of sexual harassment. And uh, she has like um, an organization that empowers women to stand up against sexual predators and harassment. And she felt like this would have been a really good opportunity to put this message out there to younger girls and younger boys that, you know, Pepe Le Pew's kind of character is unacceptable. But now that the scene's not in there, that, you know, opportunity no longer exists in the film. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about this, Brad. To yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I can see it from both perspectives. You know, I, I think it would have been valuable to put in the movie as uh, but it's also tough because it's presented as a gag, you know, and you wonder if it if the message gets lost in the comedy of it all. Like wh- what do you even do with that character in the future of, of you know the Looney Tunes franchise? I, I, is he at all involved in the new Looney Tunes? I, I know you watched some of that. I he didn't pop up in any of the ones that that I saw. I admittedly haven't seen all of them, and I I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I mean he uh, he he appeared a few times in the original Space Jam. He didn't do anything um, that he did in similar to what he did in this cartoons where he was like pursuing uh, Penelope Pussycat or anything like that. But they used him as like um a quick 
reference during the game. And then also like, I think Jordan uh, holds him up with like a gas mask on one time to like stop the Monstars during a play. And like the, his smell is so overwhelming that it makes them all pass out or something like that. What a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.